The key concept is the fourth trimester. In other words, that babies are born four or five months before they're ready for the world. Well, if that's the case, then how do you imitate the womb? They're not fully baked and they're ready to be out. How do you imitate the womb? And it turns out that the womb is not a quiet, still place. It is a symphony of sensations. The sound is louder than a vacuum cleaner. This blood flow sound. Babies are, are rocked every second. Every time you breathe, you're rocking your baby. And of course, when you're walking around or going up and down the stairs, there's extra jiggling. And people often notice, you know, that the baby wakes up when they go to bed, the fetus starts kicking more. But when they're walking around and busy, the fetus is actually quieter. And then in the womb, they're also very snugly held. And so sound, motion, and snug holding are things that parents for thousands of years have recognized calm the babies. Welcome to the Pete's Doc Talk podcast. This show's success is largely due to you and the way you share the podcast with others and leave reviews. So thank you for tuning in each and every week. I'm so grateful to have the most amazing guests to guide you in your parenting journey. Topics about all things parenting, infant and child health and development, and parental, mental, and physical health. Today's guest may not need an introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway. He is Dr. Harvey Karp. He's a world-renowned pediatrician and child development expert. He's the co-founder and CEO of Happiest Baby and the creator of Snoo Smart Sleeper. He's also the author of the best-selling parenting guides, The Happiest Baby on the Block and The Happy toddler on the block. And he's joining me to talk about the five S's of newborn sleep. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Harvey. Thank you, Dr. Mona. Happy to be with you. Well, it's a pleasure. I myself as a pediatrician and mom know so much about you, obviously about the happiest baby on the block and now the happiest toddler on the block. And so when I introduced you, I said, if people don't know who you are, because one of your books are one of the most popular books in the parenting space and your resources as well. For anyone who's not familiar with who you are, if you can introduce yourself and what brought you to create these books and resources for parents abroad and around the world. (laughs) Oh, yeah, sure. Well, I'm a pediatrician like you. I trained in New York and then California, and then I did a few years of studying child development, which is kind of a weird idea for a lot of parents because isn't pediatrics child development? It almost sounds redundant, but it turns out, of course, as pediatricians, we're trained to take care of very sick children and medium sick children and slightly sick children, and child development sometimes gets pushed to the side. And I kind of thought, if I'm going to spend the rest of my life taking care of you know, little kids and families, uh, I wanted to be interesting every day. And so I I studied really the nuances of development of children. And that kind of led me to some observations. The most important one when I was doing my training was colicky babies, 15% of babies would cry for three hours a day. And no one knew why it was a big mystery. And was it gas? Was it spasm? Was it something else? Overstimulation? And it didn't make sense because... You know, if you could put a man on the moon and you could speak to Bangalore, India in four seconds, we should be figure out, <laughs> able to figure out why babies cry. Yeah. And so that really got me started into the whole area of why do babies have colic? Why do babies cry? How can parents be more successful? And that led to trying to understand sleep as well, because crying and sleep are so tied together. And in one sense, raising young children is kind of a three-legged stool in those first six months. There are three things you need to do to be really feeling smart and competent and like the best mom or dad who ever lived. And that is feed the baby successfully, calm crying, and get sleep. Mm -hmm. If you fail at one of those three, the stool falls over. 
But if you have all three, you're very solid. And for 70, 80, 90 years, we've been teaching a lot about feeding babies, breastfeeding babies, or books and magazines and lactation consultants. Almost nothing about how to calm babies and how to improve their sleep. In fact, parents really are usually prepared for failure. And we mm-hmm. say, you know what? Babies don't sleep well. They cry a lot. You got to suck it up and deal with it. Yeah. And yet, and yet, we pediatricians tell parents that there is something absolutely magical any parent can do to quickly stop crying and improve sleep. Drive them all night in the car. <laughs> and lo and behold, that actually works for the most kids. Yeah. So then the question comes, well, if that works, then it can't be that they're so little that they can't sleep better and they can't cry less. We just didn't figure out how to imitate a car, which ultimately is imitating the womb. And that's really where the whole fourth trimester and five S's story begins. Well, for anyone who's not familiar, and I, again, I, I am familiar with it. I know so many of my patients understand the five S's. I don't think many people sometimes remember that you are the one who coined the five S's and the five S's is what Dr. Karp just said is how we can sue the baby and remembering it as the five S's. So it's easy to remember if you can kind of go into those. I love the story. I love good origin stories. Uh, I love hearing that. But what exactly are the five S's? I know you already mentioned it's mimicking the womb, but let's say even how you came up with those particularly. Was that after your understanding of child development, just your experience as a father or as a pediatrician and what exactly they are? It really started as my interest in child development. We basically, I would spend hours just sitting there watching babies. How do mm-hmm. they respond? And obviously, when you watch a baby for 15 minutes, you see they're very immature. Mm-hmm. It's not before four or five or six months that they're smiling, cooing, interacting, which is the number one most important skill a human being ever accomplishes is social interaction. And that happens at around four to six months. Mm -hmm. But in those first four months, they're really mushy, smushy little fetuses. And that gets to the idea of the fourth trimester, which isn't an idea that I founded, but it is Mm -hmm. something that I tried to popularize because people used to say, don't pick up the baby, don't hold them too much, you're going to spoil them. And while that's kind of true, when they get to be nine to 12 months of age, you can kind of teach them to be little terrorists if you give in too often. In those first four or five months, that's not at all true. What you're doing is you're building a sense of trust and confidence and feeling love and balance, if you will. And so the key concept is the fourth trimester. In other words, that babies are born four or five months before they're ready for the world. Well, if that's the case, then how do you imitate the womb? They're not fully baked and they're ready to be out. How do you imitate the womb? And it turns out that the womb is not a quiet, still place. It is a symphony of sensations. The sound is louder than a vacuum cleaner. This blood flow sound. Babies are are rocked every second. Every time you breathe, you're rocking your baby. And of course, when you're walking around or going up and down the stairs, there's extra jiggling. And people often notice, you know, that the baby wakes up when they go to bed, the fetus starts kicking more. But when they're walking Mm -hmm. around and busy, the fetus is actually quieter. And then in the womb, they're also very snugly held. And so sound, motion, and snug holding are things that parents for thousands of years have recognized calm the babies. And that's really the basis of the five S's. So it's swaddling, which is Mm -hmm. snug holding or wrapping the baby. The side or stomach position which is perfect for calming babies, it is not the right position for sleep. Mm -hmm. For sleep, they need to be on the back. But for calming a baby, the back is the worst position. 
The third S is shushing or white noise. The fourth S is swinging or rhythmic motion. And the fifth S is sucking, which is kind of the icing on the cake. Well, I can tell you as we record this, I am pregnant. Um, I know the episode may go out a little after I'm pregnant or we'll see, but um, I can attest to that, that the baby absolutely is more quiet when I am moving around and the moment I lay down, action, action, action. And I'm sure my baby's wondering like what's going on with me chasing around my toddler because there's a lot of movement. So there's a lot of swishing and a lot of noise going on in utero. And so this is so important. So imagine... 24-7, that's the fetus's life, the baby's life. Then they're born. And what do we do? We say, everybody, tiptoe the baby sleeping. Be quiet. Put them in a dark, still bed, flat on the back. They've never been on their back. Yeah. No motion, no sound. And then we, why is the baby waking up so much? Well, you just took away everything. You know, it's like me taking away your pillow, your bed, your blanket and saying, you know, Mama, why aren't you sleeping? I don't get it. Well, you just ripped away the Band-Aid. Yeah. And I think one of the questions that I want to clarify is, do you feel like all of these things are needed or do you feel like these are kind of tools in your tool belt to kind of recognize that, hey, these are five things that you should be considering? Because sometimes parents will say, well, you know, sound like um, shushing sound, like my baby doesn't really need white noise or things like that. Are these just sort of tools in your tool belt or you feel like this is something that we really should be kind of looking at for all babies? Well, you know, these are smart things that parents in every single culture use. Yeah. So, for example, if a baby is asleep in your arms, you're going to tend to go. Yes. If the baby is crying, you're going to tend to go using sound, but it's slightly different sound. If they're asleep in your arms, you're going to tend to just almost mindlessly rock back and Mm -hmm. forth. When they're upset, you're going to tend to bounce a lot more. These are things that babies teach us to do. Because when you do it, it works. And so do you need to use white noise? No. Do you need to use a pillow? Do you need to use a bed? Many people sleep without a bed. But if you understand the concept of the fourth trimester, why wouldn't you give baby the support that they naturally respond to? And Mm -hmm. then once they're older, like by six months, the brain is doubled in size. So they're much better able to be weaned. Like you can wean swaddling at, you know, four or five months by... You know, five, six months, you can wean motion and then white noise over a year. I usually recommend a year or two. Many adults use white noise to help Mm -hmm. them sleep, just like they use pillows or they give teddy bears to their toddlers. So it's not like a bad thing. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? I want to use the absolute minimum that my baby needs. Well, what's the point of that? Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, 
possibility and joy. Becoming a new mom does not come with a manual, but I'm trying to get as close to it as possible. Are you expecting a baby or know somebody who is? Make sure to grab my first year course, The New Mom Survival Guide. The on-demand course contains modules covering parenting in the first year, newborn feeding like breast and formula feeding, newborn sleep and infant sleep, introduction of solids, safety, baby care how-tos, developmental milestones, teething, and so much more. With videos and printables, you will feel supported through the first year. The course also has a roadmap that takes you through what to expect visit by visit so you can feel more confident and calm in the choices that you make and the stages that you'll go through during your baby's first year. By purchasing, you also get access to our Facebook community to troubleshoot issues or concerns. It also makes a great gift that can support a new mom through her motherhood journey. Check out the New Mom Survival Guide by visiting pedsdoctalk.com and searching our popular courses. Listen up. I do not want you to go through the toddler years waiting for it to end. I don't want you to go through the toddler years feeling dread about when the next tantrum will come. If you have a kiddo one to four, check out my toddlers and tantrums course. This course contains modules on understanding toddler development and why they are the way that they are, understanding why tantrums may happen, mantras to get you through difficult moments with your toddler, including topics surrounding understanding discipline, boundaries, consequences, time-ins and time-outs, how to teach emotional intelligence and coping skills, and common toddler parenting concerns like whining, brushing battles, bedtime battles, hitting, and so much more. This course presents scenarios and scripts to help guide you on many parenting situations in the toddler years and even beyond. Visit pedsdoctalk.com to learn more about my paid and free resources, including the Toddlers and Tantrums course. Yeah, I think this is so great because it sounds so simple and I love the way you came up with them. And I think it's just amazing to talk to you because of how many people know about the five S's and getting to talk to the person who just kind of in a way coined it. I think that's so great. And all of the stuff like you mentioned comes from just understanding how babies work in utero and also when they come out in that fourth trimester. And also thank you so much for talking about shortly, like the weaning, like the swaddling going off first when they start to roll or um, the motion coming off, the white noise, things like that. What benefit have you seen for your patients and the millions around the world that aren't even your patients, but just know about the five S's in terms of sleep quality, happiness with getting more sleep? What have you seen in terms of the benefits? Well, it's been tremendous. The thing is that parents today are very well educated, maybe the most educated in history, but a lot of people don't have extended family around them to help. And maybe they didn't take care of five or six younger brothers and sisters. And so even though they're very educated, they don't have experience in taking care of babies. And loving your child is really instinctual and intuitive, but caring for a baby is not instinctual. In fact, some of the things you do are counter-instinctual and seem really weird and odd and like, Are you sure that's what you do? Like shushing a baby, getting close to the ear and a loud shh when they're crying. It almost feels like you're saying shut up, Mm -hmm. which doesn't feel very polite. And yet when you understand you're imitating the womb sound, it makes a lot of sense to do that. So how do people respond to it around the world? Maybe a step back in terms of the science involved, because it isn't just coming up with kind of an interesting, you know, kind of list of things to do. It turns out that the happiest baby is based on a scientific observation which is babies have over 70 reflexes, which is built in software. It's automatic behaviors that babies do. You don't teach your baby to suck. You don't teach your baby to swallow. You don't teach your baby to cry. That's built in Mm -hmm. because they need that for survival. 
What wasn't known is they have a calming reflex, like an off switch for crying and an on switch for sleep, which is activated when you do these womb sensations, these five S's. And it's even a part of adult behavior. In other words, adults fall asleep in trains and planes and cars. We like to rock in hammocks. We like the sound of the wind and the ocean. That had never been really kind of observed or discussed. Why do adults respond to that? And it turns out it's because it's such a deep and important part of the baby's neurology. And so as a smart parent, you're really, by doing the five S's, you're just taking advantage of what the baby was born with. There are natural on-off switches for sleep and for crying. And why is that important? Because crying babies and exhaustion mm-hmm. aren't just a joke line on a sitcom. Yeah. They lead to tens of billions of dollars of health problems, marital stress, postpartum depression, child abuse, breastfeeding failure, stress injuries, car accidents, et cetera, obesity, and tens of billions of dollars of employer costs from poor productivity. People fall asleep on the job. They have to quit their jobs because they just can't juggle all the balls. And so it turns out that we pediatricians were kind of not paying attention. And this filled in a big gap in terms of our understanding about babies and a very practical way to guide parents, which is kind of the funny thing about the Happiest Baby book, because I kind of even don't recommend the book Mm -hmm. to people because it's hard to get through a 200 page book. And I mean, it's an interesting book, but to really learn the five assets, it's better to watch it. And so I tend to recommend the Happiest Baby video, which is a 30 minute kind of like learning how to tie your shoelaces. You learn it better by watching than by reading it. Yeah. Well, I completely agree with the importance of sleep and the impact it has on parental mental health. I mean, I know you're very passionate about that, too. And that's kind of what prompted you to create all these resources and not only for the family, but also for the baby's health. We know as pediatricians, shaking baby syndrome has a lot to do with stress and lack of sleep. And I think what you said in the beginning of this episode for generations, we kind of tell parents that, yeah, you got to suck it up and this is how it's going to be. But I love that you share this. I have the same feeling that we can teach these things to parents and can give them these resources that say, Hey, look, there is some things that you absolutely can do. And especially with colic, I love chatting about colic. Also, we can Mm -hmm. do a whole other episode about that, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's so important because a lot of parents feel like, well, this is just my life and they suffer and it does impact their mental health. You know, I see it from family members. I see it from my patients. It has a huge effect on that bonding in that first few months. You know, I'm not saying that Mm -hmm. you have to feel this immense bond right away, but it does take away from that joy that I think parents can feel postpartum. And they say they don't because they didn't have the sleep, they didn't have the resources. And you feel proud if you're child. You know, when you're pregnant, you know, um, when do you do? That's the first question that yeah. they ask. When you have the baby, boy or girl is the first question they ask. Once you're yeah. home with the baby, how's the baby sleeping yes. is the first question they ask. And when you can say, are you kidding me? My baby is the best sleeper. I don't know what people are complaining about. You actually feel proud of yourself. Not mm-hmm. that you necessarily had anything to do with it, but there are a couple of things from the pediatric side and the understanding of children that we're really trying to, I'm really trying to help families and medical professionals understand that are really a sea change. I mean, what part of this is that the first four months you imitate the womb experience, not just during the day with the five S's, but all night long. It turns Mm -hmm. out there are studies that show if you don't feed your baby, they don't thrive. Well, that's obvious. Mm -hmm. But it turns out if you don't pick up your baby and hold them and rock them, they also don't thrive. Studies show if you feed babies, but you don't pick them up, hold them, rock them, shush them, give them that loving TLC, 
they don't develop normally. So does it make sense? We know that babies more than anything else want to be in our arms, want to be held, rocked and shushed. So why for 12 to 14 hours a day would we put them in sensory deprivation, Mm. flat on their back in a still quiet bed? I think that we pediatricians over these next few years are going to go, is that really the best thing we can do for baby development? Or by giving them rhythmic rocking and shushing and snug holding, can we make them feel more trusting, more more nurtured? I think this is great. It just goes to show how things are always advancing and what we know and mm-hmm. what parents know as well. And I think I love that you bridge what we innately know to do. You know, like you said, like you just naturally bring the baby close and want to shush them. But bringing it out into this episode was just so important, laying it all out there and also tying it in to development, to everything that, you know, as a pediatrician and I love learning about as well. I am less in my career than you. So it's always nice being able, you know, I'm seven years out of being an attending um, at a residency mm-hmm. and I just love connecting with you, learning from you, learning obviously from all institutions, doing amazing things out there. So thank you for joining us. And where can people stay connected or find more about the SNU, about Happiest Baby, all of these things, any resources that you want to share with our listeners today? Well, of course, we're on Instagram mm-hmm. and Facebook and everywhere else. But the biggest place, I think, is to go to happiestbaby.com, where we have a thousand articles and videos. And of course, people can rent this new, but they don't have to buy anything. They can just come for free information. So we welcome millions of families every month. Well, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure finally meeting you and connecting with you and chatting about the origin story of the five S's and obviously the SNU as well. Thank you. I really appreciate this conversation today. Thank you so much, Mona. Thank you. And for everyone listening, if you love this episode, which I'm sure you did, it's such an honor having Dr. Karp on the show. Please leave a review, leave a rating. Make sure you share this episode with anyone that you know would find it interesting. And I can't wait to chat with another guest next week. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review, share this episode with a friend, share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at PedsDocTalk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, TV. We'll talk to you soon. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.